Good morning, Disciples Church. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to the letter of James. Praising the Lord to get to be here with you today. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Joshua Kirstein. I'm the preaching pastor here at Disciples. and Joyful to, to spend this time with you and to be digging into God's Word together, to worship Him together. God is good. And uh, man, we're so blessed to know Him, walk with Him. If you don't know his good news, his life-changing grace, I pray you would today. We're going to be in uh, chapter 5, verse 7 through 8, as we continue our sermon series called Faith at Work. Pray with me as we dig in to God's word today. Good God, thank you for all that you are. Thank you for all that you are and Continue to be your faithful, unchanging, righteous, holy. Thank you for your your love. Thank you for your grace. We praise you, Lord, for your power, your perfect justice and wrath. We thank you for life. And more so, life in Christ, salvation. Lord, I pray that your word would move mightily upon us today. That we would not just be hearers, but doers also. That you would love us enough to bring real conviction. That we would be moved unto repentance and sanctification and growth. And that you would bring Uh, to us just simple application uh, that we would not be guilty of hearing a sermon or participating in a Sunday worship service and then moving on but but that this time would be a catalyst to your work in and through us this week that if you will it we would wake up tomorrow and live a new day for you for your glory and for your name we love you We thank you that you are here. I pray that we would be here, focused, attentive, for all that you would have. In Jesus' name, amen. James chapter 5, verse 7 begins with this. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of our Lord. First, recognize with me the shift that James makes in this portion of his letter as his emphasis Uh, And audience takes a shift. Just a few verses before, as we studied last week in verse 1 through 6 of chapter 5, he spent these previous paragraphs admonishing people who were practicing sinful indulgence, persecuting others. They were rightly heaping up wrath on themselves for their sinful indulgence in wealth and the temporary world. In opposition to this, he wants to press his Christian brethren into a lifestyle and a practice that does the opposite of what he just admonished. Instead of worrying ourselves with the momentary and the treasures of this world, he says, be patient for the coming of the Lord. Many of his blood-bought brothers are the ones who have been persecuted and treated unjustly by the wealthy James just rebuked. Since this is 
an ever-present reality for Christ followers in the world we live in, a world that hates God and therefore hates us. James encourages them to be patient for the prize is coming in the return of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? In the, in the earliest parts of the biblical narrative, we read that struggle and suffering are real, real for mankind, um, all men, and especially for those who would claim Christ, live for Christ, uphold the word of God. Job chapter 5, verse 7, man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. A normal and regular thing, trouble will be a reality. Jesus himself said, in the world you will have tribulation. John 16.33 Paul will later encourage the disciples in Acts 14.22 to continue in the faith and saying that though many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations. We will go through many tribulations before enjoying the kingdom of God. First Peter 4.12, Peter will make it clear to our Christian brothers and sisters. He says, not be, do not be surprised. The fiery trial, the painful trial that you are suffering. As though something strange were happening to you. As though we'd be surprised. It's easy in modern American Christianity to, to get scooped up into a mindset that says, if I trust God, if God's my God, this good God, then my life's going to go well. It's going to be free of struggles and injustices. And we, we, we put God in a box where we want him to work the way we think he should. And, and yet the reality is his word is clear to us, announcing again and again, you will struggle you will suffer you will endure great hardship but you are claimed you are secure in the blood of Jesus you belong to him you will be his forever we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever as we just sang so James sees that this is an important area that our faith must remain at work and moves into a stretch of counsel now in these next verses about patience and steadfastness. We'll get into steadfastness in the coming weeks, but today let's dive into the practice of patience. Let's start by taking a closer look at what is patience. Patience, uh, defined in a common dictionary, says the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. The capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, suffering without getting angry or upset. I have come to understand in a 20-year pastoral career that patience is truly one of the most difficult things we will practice in this life. Especially because of the reality of our flesh. For many in the room, you may even go so far to say, lack of patience is maybe one of the things you struggle most with in life. Praise God for this text, for what God has for us today. Why is this? Why is it such a deep struggle? Because our flesh wants it, and it wants it now. 
I want it now, Daddy. <laughs> right? Veruca Salt's like the epitome of no patience. Snotty, spoiled. I want it and I want it now. We might not think we look like that or dress like that, but often find ourselves in this place in our souls, in our spirit, that we want it, we want it now, and I'm not okay with it not coming the way I want it to come, or at the time, or the way. But seriously, think, think with me about things that you go through every day, and throughout your day. The little things, the little things that if you don't have a real source of patience, are a real struggle and can affect really thriving in faith. For example, patience for your food to cook. I mean, we've become such an impatient people that the microwave just doesn't do it fast enough. I want to eat now, and, I, and it's still not done. Patience for the water bottle to fill faster. Do you hate standing there and just waiting for it to fill? Patience to save up enough money to buy that thing that you really want. And so we don't execute patience. We just spend money we don't have. We throw it on credit because we're not patient to wait and spend what God's entrusted to us. Patience for that thing that person promised you would be done and it's not done. Patience for the kids to grow out of that, that phase they're in. It's a silent amen from my wife. This time of year, how about this one? Patience for the hot water to get across the house from the water heater to your shower. While you stand there on a frigid morning going, really? It's still not here yet? Right? I mean, and on and on. Those are just five silly, random, but so true things. But here's another layer. What about patience for lifelong things? Patience for a loved one to repent. Or to finally see what they've been missing. Patience for an area of life that you've always struggled with and can't seem to to find your way to resolve it or put it away. Patience for health issues that seem ongoing and never-ending. There are lifelong things that require not short-term patience, but long-term patience. But, but here's the thing. God expects his redeemed people to practice patience no matter what we face. Therefore, patience becomes another evidence of genuine faith at work. Because the faithful don't quit. The faithful in God don't say, I'm done. Don't throw up our arms and say, I can't do it anymore. There is Patience, lasting 
patience. To keep on, no matter how hard it is or how long it takes, because you have true and lasting patience. You can see with me uh, how critical this study is. Um, So my prayer is that we aim to slow down today and, and really do business with this practice of patience. Praise God for his word, for the work of the Holy Spirit in each of us today. James says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. James blesses his hearers, and God blesses us with his word today, to be reminded of what we are ultimately patient for, the coming of the Lord. This is no small thing. James emphasizes this is a huge part of how Christians are able to practice patience in ways unbelievers can't. Because we wait on the return of the Lord and His rule over all things and the putting away of the sinful and the hurtful and the hard. We wait on a feast and a celebration that is eternal and better than anything we've experienced in this life. The Bible says it is better than we can even dream or imagine. This is a great fuel for us when who we are in Christ and what the promises of God are to us and the coming of the Lord, what that really means to us. It's better than the promise of a soldier told after many war-weary years that he's going to get to go home. It's better than that. Because the peacetime that he's going home to may not last. And who's to say that in the hours in between he doesn't give his life on the battlefield and never get home? It's better than the promise of a spouse who commits to love you until death do you part. That marriage could struggle for a lifetime and never find the rhythm of God's designed oneness. It's better than the best meal you've ever eaten or vacation you've ever longed to take. For those meals and vacations are just momentary joys. Gone so soon. No, no, the coming of the Lord for the believer is so much better and worthy of great endurance and patience because it is the anticipation of a bride for her groom for a wedding that will thrive forever. It is a time of peace that mankind has never known since the fall. The coming of the Lord and the new heavens and the new earth is a celebration and a feast like nothing we've ever experienced. And it has no end. Church, the coming of the Lord is the great hope believers in Jesus have to get through hardship and suffering in this broken world. To not pull the ripcord and just say, I'm done, and just find 
temporary happiness in temporary things, but to be patient. It's a reminder that things will not always be the way they are now. Romans 8.18, Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Hebrews 13.14, For we have here, we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. For we are sons of we are sons of Abraham that get to say, looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Hebrews eleven ten. The coming of the Lord will mean two things in relationship to this part of James' letter: the judgment of the wicked, like that we studied last week. Verse 1 through 6, and the deliverance of the righteous in Christ. Matthew 24, 34, the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Jesus spoke great news to his blood-bought family when he said John 14 3 if I go and prepare a place for you I will come again and take you to myself and where I am you may be also church we must be patient for the perfect timing of the Lord to bring all things to his desired conclusion we must trust in his timing and his plan we must be patient for his ways are higher than our ways christian never forget that your patience is not for nothing and it's not for something mediocre it is for something great really really great listen Maybe close your eyes and listen to Revelation 21, 1-9. through 9. I saw the new heaven and the new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have his heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, 
For the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all the liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Amen? It's good news if Jesus Christ is Lord. And it's terrifying news if not. James 5, 7, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. To practice this until He comes. Until we're with Him in glory. Church, we are not just patient for the sake of being patient. We are patient for a great and lasting reality that is before us. One that fuels our patience through the worst things of a lifetime. The coming of the Lord. Look with me at the second part of verse 7. James uses an analogy to help us understand the practice of patience. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and late rains. The farmer prepares the field, he tills the soil, he plants the seeds, and then he has to wait patiently. Why? The farmer can't grow his crop. God must do that. The Lord is the one in charge of the rain. He can do, the farmer can do very little to affect the growth and the outcome of the harvest that he longs for. He must wait and pray for God's perfect timing to bring the rain and the growth if he wills in its season and out. In Palestine, the, the farmer was particularly dependent on the rain in this day that came in late autumn and early spring, which is why James is specific to mention the early and late rains. Uh, this is a reality. We see this going all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 11, 13 through 15. If you will indeed obey my commandments that I have commanded you today to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, he will give the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the late rain, that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil that he will give grass in the in your fields for your livestock and you shall eat and be full every reference in the old testament that speaks of early and late rains are always in the context of god affirming faithfulness to him and here is where we see james ongoing theme of faith at work True faith in God is not passing or momentary. It is lasting and enduring. It is patient. True faith will see the harvest in God's endgame and the eternal kingdom. And we will wait for it. True faith honors God and obeys His commands and repents when in sin to finish the race, and to enjoy the harvest. 
With this clarity of the farmer and the harvest brings to mind a critical point of clarity for us. Hear this. Being patient doesn't mean you get to be lazy. The farmer still works. Just as we who are the workers, the workers of the harvest, still have a work to do ourselves. Even though we wait on the Lord for His timing and His will, we are still responsible for what He has called us to do. And so, some for some that might mean that you are being patient, but in practices that are not of the Lord. Your patience is futile in that what you're still trying to do is something sinful. That's a waiting that God will never give you that fruit. So one of the things we must do in our patience is make sure that we are obeying the Lord, honoring Him, seeking good counsel, that we are on a path that is practicing His commands. But also that we're not guilty of being patient and just sitting by and waiting for for Him to come knock on the door and say it's time to go home. Jesus says in Luke 10, 2, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We who are the laborers are called to pray and to, get this, labor. While we trust in the Lord of the harvest to bring the harvest in his time. I've watched many well-intentioned people stop working, stop training, stop growing in the name of patience. And you might be in a long season of patience for spiritual harvest in your child's life, but that doesn't mean you stop tilling the soil, testifying the gospel, disciplining sin, and praying for them. Being patient doesn't mean being lazy. No, instead we put our hands to the plow and we don't look back. We pray instead of worry. We walk by faith even when all the temporal signs are saying this ain't going to work out. This is the difference between the will of God's command and the will of God's decree. The things that God commands us to do and not to do is the will of His command upon us that we're responsible for. The things God decrees to be done and not done is the will of His decree. We are commanded to be good stewards of each day that He gives us under the sun to live for Him, make much of His name, make disciples unto the nations, serve the needy, raise our children in the Lord, be active members of the local church, and on and on. We are commanded to do these things. The fruit of our labor, the time of the harvest, is the decree of the Lord. That's the part that is up to Him. We should not concern ourselves with the decree of God, the wisdom of God, the timing of God. That's for God. We should concern ourselves with the practice of the commands He's put upon us as we are patient for His timing 
of the harvest. The fruit of our labor, the time of the harvest, is the decree of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 7. When then is Apollos, I'm sorry, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. We need to be mindful, church, that we are responsible for obeying God's commands, and He is responsible for issuing His decrees. Patience does not mean we do nothing, and we get really good at making excuses while we wait for God. It means we walk by faith. We pursue sanctification and maturity. We fight sin We testify the gospel at great cost and we wait for the coming of the Lord. James 5.8 You also be patient. Give the analogy of the farmer must be patient. You also, church, be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Look with me further at this important verse 8. To establish your heart is to root yourself in Christ. This is a huge clarity because patience is not just something you do. Be patient doesn't stand alone here. The way we are able to be patient is to be established in heart, in our core, to be rooted in Christ, to have our hearts established in Jesus. This is James' way of saying that true patience is a work of God in your life as you trust in and grow in Him. Paul uses the same Greek word and makes a similar point in 1 Thessalonians 3, 11-13. Now many... Now, I'm sorry, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father, the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Is your heart established in Christ, rooted in Jesus? Jesus is the foundation for true patience. You won't be patient just with hard work. It won't last. The war with your flesh is too strong. You must be established in Christ This brings us to a key question then. Who can have true and lasting patience? Notice clearly James' audience in this portion of the text. He says in verse 7, Be patient therefore, brothers. He's talking to the saved, to the redeemed. Those who have died in themselves and trusted their lives to Jesus Christ. Those who are reborn by the Holy Spirit. 
What you need to see is that the true and lasting patience is the fruit of the Spirit. Meaning it's not something you just produce on your own. Man-made patience is temporary. It's forced. It's possible, but it won't last. It's not a characteristic that you produce on your own. If you want to truly practice patience, you are desperate to be established or rooted in Christ or in the analogy he gives in John 15, in him who is the vine. See this clearly with me. Jesus says in John 15, 5, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. What does he mean? The branch can't grow fruit apart from the vine, who is life. Branches don't grow fruit. The vine grows fruit through the branch. The characteristics of life change that you experience as a Christian, the practice of patience is, a, is a, an evidence that you are alive in Christ. It is a fruit of the Spirit, not of you. It is a fruit produced in you, through you, but it is the work of God. You must be established, rooted in the vine. He says, abide in me and I will abide in you. To abide is to continue to dwell, to remain in Christ. To be established, grounded, rooted in Him. When we abide in Him, the Holy Spirit produces in and through us fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Galatians 5, 22-23. A Christian does not grow fruit. Your priority as a Christian is not to try to be more loving, to be more patient, to be more kind, to be more self-controlled. That is religion. That is self-righteousness. That is something that will not last. You are desperate for life. You are desperate for the vine. The work of Christ in and through you. Therefore, Christian growth is not out. Christian growth is in. Into Christ. Who will transform us. And produce a new person. A reformed, refined, sanctified person. This is why we don't stop praying for your family member who is intolerable. Because in Christ, he is able 
to utterly redefine that person. So we pray for their salvation, their sanctification. We don't give up on praying for that because he is able to take the worst and to redeem and renew and make new. This is the beauty of the gospel. This is the testimony of this church. A a mosaic of toxic, wicked, selfish, manipulating, self-serving, hurtful, deceiving people. Look around the room. This is who we are before Christ. Every one of us desperate for Him. Desperate for a new beginning in Christ. I pray you don't come to hear Just go be patient, and that's your work to do today. That's religion. That's not good news. The gospel, the good news is that Jesus came to do what we could not do, to atone for our sins that we could not pay for, to make us new in Him, to give us new birth, spiritual awakening, opportunity now to live for Him, worship Him, know Him, and grow in Him, be refined by the Holy Spirit, and made new restored and redeemed and sent forth for his work and his ways. See here in verse 8 with me the critical partnership of, of you therefore be patient, establish your hearts. See that we must be rooted in Jesus. The question now before you is are you established in your heart, in the core of who you are in faith in your Life, are you established in Christ? Who is the vine? Who is life? Who is the rock? Who is coming again? Some of you may say, I have established myself in Christ. But don't miss this clarity. It's not enough just to say, I have Jesus. Are you abiding in him every day throughout the day are you reconciled to God through Christ where his love is at work in and through you there's evidence of that faith at work there's evidence of the love of God at work in you the love of God defined this way to the Corinthian church 1 Corinthians 13 4 love is patient. True love is to know and be established in God. True love in God is patient. How can it be patient? Because it's grounded in God. Because it's satisfied in God. How can the Christian endure great hardship and ongoing test and long seasons of it not going their way and no change and extended waiting? A patience that is established in your heart that belongs to Christ. Is your faith, is your trust in Christ. 
You're patient because you know that this is not your home. You know that this circumstance that you're in or that you're living with is not your finish. It's not your ultimate identity. This is not your paradise. It's not your prize. It's not your kingdom. It's temporary. It's momentary. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18 So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. The things that are unseen are eternal. The struggle, the suffering, the hardship that you are enduring through a long season might not feel light and momentary. But it is in comparison to eternity. It is in comparison to the eternal wrath of God upon you for eternity outside of Christ. Or it is in comparison to the weight of glory that it will be to be in Christ forever. Amen? This is the patience unto the coming of the Lord. This is James' emphasis for us. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. James is calling the brethren, the church, we who are established in our hearts to the Lord, whose faith is in Jesus, to put that faith to work, to practice the fruit of the Spirit, that is patience. This is not a standalone teaching church. We see this call of God on his people to practice patience all over Scripture, a quick blitz of a taste in places like Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience. Bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. To the Romans, Paul writes in 12.12, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation. Colossians 3.12, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. First Thessalonians 5.14 We urge you brothers, admonish the, the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Why is patience such an important part of our faith testimony? Because it shows that we are not ruled or defined by the momentary. And the constantly shifting tide of this life, we are grounded in Christ, established, rooted, satisfied in Christ, in a way that doesn't leave me clamoring for the things that my flesh wants to go this way or that way. 
We trust in God's time. Even though it doesn't add up to me, I walk by faith in Him. Trusting that God is at work in ways I don't see or can't understand. Turn with me briefly, just a few pages away towards the back of your Bible, 2 Peter 3, not far from James 5. And see with me another beautiful clarity related to this topic. As Peter speaks to the elect exiles, which we are modern day elect exiles. Look with me at 2 Peter 3 verse 8. Some of you are like, oh wow, we're going to talk about this first coming up. You know, yeah, we're going to do it. Verse eight: Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. Peter's quoting Psalm ninety, verse four, and it's a great reminder to us, the church. He's saying that our viewpoint in the last days can feel like a long time. It doesn't feel very last when it's a couple thousand years, right? But God's point of view, it is very, very short. Let me say something really simple but very profound, and I pray you really hear it today. Faith in God, patience for God's timing means we don't confine God to our schedule. Faith in God, patience for God's timing means I do not confine God to my schedule. You have to stop and see that God is at work. And He doesn't live in time like we do. A couple thousand years to us is a couple days to Him. But this is anthropomorphic language. If you're studying with us in midweek, you would know that that's language used where human terms are given to something that is not human. So we can better understand what's being said. Why is that essential here? God is using time and space to help us see that He is not bound by time or space. He's outside of time. He's outside of space. If you put together all that God has been doing in the last couple thousand years, it's actually quite staggering what He has been doing. Peter responds to the concern that we might have about Christ's delay, our perceived perception that Christ's return is delayed. He adds this in 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. 
people have used the scripture out of context to say that it is God's will that all would be saved. It's not what the Bible teaches through and through. He is speaking about his elect, that all of his elect will reach repentance. To say that this is for all people is to say that God doesn't get what he wants, which means that God's not all-powerful, not in control. It just breaks down so many other facets of who God is. I preached on this text through and through of the context of this verse in this chapter. You must read it in its context or you have a faulty reading of this. But let me give us a taste. Who is the you that he's speaking to here? Look back to me, 2 Peter 1.1. Simon Peter, a servant of the Apostle Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Those who have obtained a faith of equal standing to ours, meaning those who are saved like we are, the church, the redeemed. 2 Peter 3.1, later in this very letter, this is now the second letter I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind. I am writing to you, the beloved, with sincere mind, a pure mind, those who are in the family of God, the beloved, those whom God has given a new and pure, sincere mind. He's, ta- he's talking to the church, the saved. I'm writing to you, the true church. God's will is that none of his people should perish, but reach repentance, which every one of them, the scriptures say, will. Sounds exactly like what Jesus said about us, his people, his sheep, that God entrusted him to come and save. John chapter 10, 27 through 29. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Ask again, who does the God is not willing that any should perish apply to? 2 Peter 1 1, to all who obtained a faith of equal standing. 2 Peter 3 1, the beloved. John 10 29, Jesus says, those whom God has given him, God's will is that none of these will perish. Amen? But it says, not wishing that either, any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. If the you is the saved, then they don't need to still reach repentance. So what does he reference that all of these should reach repentance? The you here is the elect. Whether you're saved or not, it is the people of God. It is his plan to save his people that we see throughout all of the old covenants and all through the new. He has a particular people whom he will save, who will not perish. Jesus speaks to this in John 10, 16. I have other sheep who are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. That all of these will reach repentance and not perish. What does this mean? It means 2 Peter 3.9 is a great promise and a great hope for all of God's people, whether they know they are yet or not that the saved are going to be saved. Peter is also calling God's people to be patient in God's timing of this salvation. 
The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. We should count the delay of Christ coming as an act of mercy and patience until all his sheep are gathered unto his fold and not one is lost. Amen? That's why we are still here and not just taken to heaven. That we'd be a testimony of the gospel for those who would still be saved. That's why he's not done yet. When you look left and right and the wicked seem to be prevailing and it's just this world is so nasty. The things that are happening to my beloved and and what is real, what is happening is true and yet God is not slow. He is at work in his perfect time and perfect way. Praise God that he is patient with us all. Praise God that he elects many to salvation instead of condemning all to the death we deserve. Praise God that he's not slow as we might consider him to be, but perfect in his timing to save whom he will. Praise God that none of his people will perish that all will reach repentance. Amen? Praise God that He has given to us, the church, a work to do, a spreading of the truth of the life-changing gospel to the ends of the earth, so that all of His elect, a people of every tribe, tongue, and nation, will hear it and repent and be saved. Church, you also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. The last words in Holy Scripture testify the Lord saying, Surely I am coming soon. John's reply, church, is our reply. It shows. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come. In the meantime, we wait patiently for the Lord. Church, may we be a people established in Christ, grounded in Jesus, rooted in the vine in such a way that he's producing patience, that we are a patient people, trusting in God's perfect timing and perfect ways. May it be a great testimony of our faith at work. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this hour, this time, to study your holy word. It is precious to us. What a joy it is to be with my blood-bought brothers and sisters, to rally and say, hey, God, God, you are worthy. God, you are able to confess our sin, to, to praise you that you have forgiven us, to break bread and remember the sacrifice of Christ, to be emboldened for our testimony today and this week. For those that you might have drawn to the church house today to hear these things, that you would love them enough to wreck them today, to upset their worldview, their idea that things are going okay as Lord of their own lives, that they would see their desperate need for a Savior, and that that Savior has come, and that they would have eyes to see and ears to hear, that they would confess their sin before you and trust their lives to Jesus be forever changed forever yours 
This is the wondrous mystery of the gospel at work. May it be at work. May it be our bold proclamation to a world around us as we are patient and look with great anticipation for the coming of the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.